Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. This is the ContenderCast. It's Justin Hahnemann. We are shining a light on bright ideas. And today, my guest, Joel Solomon, you guys are going to love Joel because he is a guy that, I mean, when you hear his background, you're going to think it's incredible, but you're also going to think it's incredible what he's doing now with his creative side and his passion. So, Joel, it is awesome having you on the podcast. Justin, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Totally. I am fired up. All right. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Joel. So, many of you have heard of City or City Group. I mean, Joel was a portfolio manager there. That's where he was really focused in his career, finance oriented. I mean, group portfolios from, you know, think of $100 million portfolios up to nearly a billion dollars over a couple of years. He then started his own hedge fund. And now he's written a book and he's started his own business around this whole idea of managing your own finances. And Joel, so let's just dive in with, okay, talk about the move from City, which many of us have heard of and know of, to starting your own hedge fund? Because I think some of our listeners may not really understand that concept. And I'd love for you to share with them you know, why you'd make that move and what, is that, what does that entail? Sure. Thanks again, Justin. So I was working at Citigroup, managing money, managing their money. And at Citigroup, I acted as a hedge fund manager. So what that entails is we would bet that, bet that some stocks are going to go up and other stocks are going to go down. And in 2012, a law was passed that said that banks cannot own hedge funds. Banks banks cannot do this type of activity. And so my whole group was shut down. Wow. And that led to my dream job, which if you had asked me back in 1993, what's your dream? It would have been starting some type of fund, either a mutual fund or a hedge fund, managing other people's money so that they can become financially free. And so I went through a process of starting my own hedge fund, which basically means, uh, again, like I was doing at City, I was betting some stocks are going to go up and other stocks are going to go down. So not taking a lot of market risk. If you have a day like we did yesterday with the stock market down 2.5%, then we could still be making money because some of our stocks that uh, we're expecting to go down would offset those stocks that we're expecting to go up. And that's the basic idea. It's, it's, that's why it's called a hedged fund. And we were truly hedged, unlike a lot of other hedge funds that may mostly bet that, that stocks go up or they're leveraged so that if the market goes up, 10%, they can, might make 20%. Sure. We we actually were hedged so that if the market was up 10%, we might only be up five or six or seven. Wow. But if the market was down 10%, we might actually be up 1%. So you start this in 2012. Uh, you shut it down in 2016. You name it Salamore after your two daughters. Love that. And so how did you decide it's time to shut down the hedge fund and get into this next phase of your or your life and your business? Great, great question. But I did want to mention a little bit more. And thanks for yeah. mentioning that Tala Moore was named after my daughter's Lorna Morgan. So I am a dedicated father to two amazing, beautiful, talented girls, Lorna Morgan. Morgan <laughs> Love that. Love turned, that. thank you. Morgan turned 12 this last month and Lauren turned 14 last month. Awesome. So let me <laughs> let me talk to you a little bit about the 
the move from hedge fund manager to prosperity coach. And what happened was I was at a conference in December 2015, which I went to because my hedge fund, we had done well in 2013. We were up 10% in just six months. We were up another 1% in 14 and 15. We were flattish, but we just didn't have enough assets for this to be a viable venture for the next five to 10 years. So I went to this conference where I wanted to figure out how to better market to potential investors, how to be a better be a better allocator of capital for my shareholders, for my investors, how to better communicate with my employees and outside investors and prospective investors. And I I got an email around that time where I was thinking, what can I do to improve this this company? And it was it was called Reignite. And it seemed like everything I needed for 2016. So I go to this conference and two things happened which changed my life. One was we had this exercise we had to do called obstacles or illusions. And they okay. gave the gave us this wooden board that was at least two inches thick. Got and we it. had to break it with our bare hand. Two inches thick? Yes. Okay. And on one side we had to write our obstacle. And the other side we had to write our goal. And I wrote my obstacle was raising enough money for Solomon Capital to be massively profitable. And on the other side, I wrote my goal, which was to help everybody in this room become financially free. That was your goal. Wow. That was my goal. So we did kind of a meditation, kind of like, you know, think about this and, you know, what's, what's, you know, we spent a lot of time on this exercise of, of getting to what the true, what a true goal is. And so long story short, we had that on, we had the obstacle on one side, the goal on the other. We had 200 people in the room. Basically, everyone broke the board. And that was one thing that happened at the conference. The second thing that happened was we had a guest speaker who was a, who, who was supposed to be teaching us on stocks and stock options. Okay. And he spoke for an hour. The whole course was all about, you know, improving yourself, improve, you know, improving relationships. And we had this guest speaker come in and it was day two. Everyone, most of the people knew what I was doing. They knew I was a hedge fund manager. And the guy started talking about stock options as if it was a get rich quick kind of scheme. If you just invest in stock options, you can make five, 10 times your money. You got to do this. And I felt sick to my stomach because uh, obviously options are not riskless. And I had people tapping me on the shoulder people whispering in my ear next to me, Joel, does this make sense? So I'm like, Let, let's just stay here to the end of the presentation and then let's not be rude and we'll walk out and discuss it. So we walked out and I said, please don't do this. I fully believe that there are risks involved and unless you're well-educated and you believe that you're going to make money in stock options, you're not and you have to be well-educated and let me, I can educate you. And I realized I could do a better job than this guy was doing. And then I got home that night, that Sunday night, and that board kept on staring back at me. The broken make board? Everybody, the broken board, the half that said, yeah. make everybody in this room financially free. And I couldn't sleep that night. I couldn't figure out why until the board kept on looking back at me. And I realized that 
I'm not supposed to be a hedge fund manager. My true purpose in life, I know it may sound like a cliche, but it's true. My true purpose in life is indeed helping people, coaching people, educating people on investments, on their money mindset, and teaching them how they can become financially free. So I literally went into my office the next morning, sent an email to my investors, telling them I'm giving them their money back. I'm shutting down my fund because I I found my true purpose. Wow. <laughs> How did that go with your with your investors? Great question. I was <laughs> I mean... quite surprised. I didn't get much of a response in terms of pushback. And so right. it really made me realize that this was the right decision wow. to move forward with shutting it down and becoming a prosperity coach. And it took most of 2016 to do that while I was shutting it down. I a lot of legal and accounting and audit issues that needed to be resolved and having multiple legal entities and striking the final net asset value for the investors. But we did shut it down in 2016. I was able last year to spend 100% of my time on working on building up this new venture. Wow. All right. So uh, that, that's an awesome story. So you get things unwound, I'll call it, and you, you've moved out of the hedge fund leadership role, and then you start building this new business. And I know you you really built this around this whole idea of mindful money management. In fact, you released a new, a new book um, called that, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager. And now you're building a business around that. So talk about what's been key to get that launched and going and like what's worked and some of the things that you've learned along the way over just over the last year or so. Uh, great questions, Justin. A lot there. So lessons learned. First of all, the the way I've been able to get clients is through word of mouth. Sure. And and so I went back to my this is gonna sound old fashioned, but my Rolodex of uh, <laughs> your electronic um, Rolodex. Yeah. Yes, my electronic <laughs> yep. Rolodex. Hey, I had of, I used to have a paper Rolodex. I don't know if you you. I used to have one though. I will tell you that <laughs> believe it or not. I still have an old Rolodex here sitting next to me at my desk just to remind me how important (laughs) relationships are, right? Relationships are. Yeah, totally. So, so I went back and I, I reached out to the people who were, I was clients of, or my former colleagues. And I said, look, I'm making a pretty big change here. Love to get your advice, love to pick your brain and then also see if this would resonate with you. And so that's how I started developing clients. I also started a meetup group back in 2016 while I was still in the evenings, while I was still shutting down my fund to meet new people, to to tell them what I wanted to do, how I wanted to help them. And I got some clients from that as well. And I also realized that I had a lot of information in me that I wanted to share with the world. And I wasn't sure how I could help the numbers, the large numbers of people that I really wanted to help. And I thought, you know, one fairly quick way to do that is to write a book and get the thoughts that I have out into the world so that it's going to be difficult, I think, one-on-one, maybe in seminars it can happen to reach at least 100,000 people. That's my goal, to reach at least 100,000 people to become financially free. And so I thought, well, if I write a book with a lot of the key lessons in there, 
then I could reach a large number fairly quickly. And, and obviously the, the cost to them would be much lower than doing, you know, months of, of coaching. I love that. And yeah, I've, I've followed your book. I mean, Mindful Money Management, Memoirs of a Hedge Fund Manager. And uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's unbelievable how well it's done on Amazon, other outlets. And I mean, it's just taken off. And I, you know, I, there's a lot of people that I know listen to this podcast that have written books, have thought about writing books, and that's not always how it works. And so you've definitely hit on something here that is working for people. So let's cover a couple elements of that. And then let's talk about the program you're building. So talk about what it means to be mindful. I mean, you know, I think that's kind of a buzzword. I hate to say that like the last year, it seems like I'm hearing that a lot more. What does that mean? And then how does this tie to financial planning? Right. So mindful money management is being present. Mindful is being present. So it's being aware of what's going on around you, just generally mindfulness. So I, I realized that I was becoming more mindful through meditation and becoming more focused and more productive. And I actually have a chapter in my book uh, called meditation. So I, I practice what I preach and I started meditating pretty religiously a few months ago, a few years ago. And, and, you know, religiously every single day, a couple of years ago, and it's, it's made me more present. So I will, would notice things that I hadn't noticed before. I, in fact, I, I give a story in the book about noticing this house that's literally around the corner from my house that I, I would, I used to, I I'm jogging every day. I used to jog, not every day, but you know, I've been living in this house for call it 11 years now. And a couple of years ago when I started meditating, I passed by this house and I was amazed that it had white columns like the white house that I had not ever noticed because I wasn't being fully present. So let's talk about mindful money management. Mindful money management is being aware of what's going on in your investments, okay. be it stocks or bonds or real estate, being aware of what's going on in the overall marketplace for your investments. And it's making decisions that you have faith in since you've done the analysis in those investments. You're confident in the value of the investment over the long term, call it one, two, three, four years. And this really gives you a distinct advantage over those who have to care about daily or weekly or monthly performance, the professional investors. So I say being mindful in money management is not staring at the stock screen if you're a stock investor all day long to take advantage of a small move in the stock, but doing the research up front, knowing what the company's worth under various scenarios so that if the market does go down a lot, like it has the last couple of days, you have a prescribed method. Okay, what am I going to do if my stock is down five or 10 or 20%, I have a, I have a plan in place to take advantage. And I, in my, in my book, I give a story about September 19th, 2008, when the Securities and Exchange Commission banned short selling and financial stocks <laughs> right. the night before. Yep. And I was, I was max short, which meant I was betting that stocks would go down right. overall. And all we were doing was investing in financial stocks. So it affected me and I was in potentially the worst position of any money manager out there. I was only doing financial stocks. I was max short and I knew we were going to lose a ton of money and it was going to be the worst day of my career. I could have panicked, right? I could have just covered some tons of shorts. Like, But what we did is we came up with a plan in the morning after the market opened 
We spent a few hours just walking around the block and planning what we're going to do over the next weeks and months in order to make mindful decisions. And looking back on it, it was a great way to manage money as opposed to rashly making decisions without considering the fact that at that day, at least nothing had changed in the value of stocks. We were expecting to go down and we still had a we still had the values that we thought they were worth. And therefore, there should have been nothing changed except this change in regulation, which is not fundamental to the value of the individual security. Yeah, I can only imagine the stress of, of the situation and the importance of having a plan, right? <laughs> I think a lot of us remember living through that time. All right. So a couple of things from your book that I thought were interesting. Let's talk through these. This will be kind of fun. All right. Act as if your goals have been achieved. What do we mean by that? It's a great question. <laughs> Acting as if, I mean, you can act as if what you want has already occurred. Acting as if means acting as if what you want has already occurred. Let me give you an example that I gave in the book. Yeah, that'd be great. In December 2012, I thought I had two investors all signed up. They orally agreed that they were going to give us money. We were going to be on our way January 1st. I had signed up a, a broker, a lawyer, an auditor, a fund administrator, the compliance company all these different service providers. I had committed to commercial real estate space on the corner of 54th and Madison. I felt like I'd really ride. <laughs> right. Great location, then, by the way. <laughs> it, 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 it is. And then they both, both of them within days backed out. Now, just imagine how distraught and sad and unhappy I was feeling at that time. And I could have given up, right? I'm sure a lot of people would have. This, they're paying a lot of money out of their own pocket to pay all these service providers without, and I didn't have a pipeline. I just stopped marketing. I was all set. I thought I, I thought I was all set. So I had an analyst who was going to start January 1st. I could have said no, but I hired him anyway. And what we did was we acted as if we already had the money. What did we do? We had morning calls, 8.30 in the morning, as if we were already invested. We Set, we, we put together a spreadsheet of stocks that we had bought and stocks we had sold short betting that were going to go down. We had, we calcul I calculated at the end of every day how much money we made or lost. I met with companies that we were invested in, quote unquote. And we went to conferences, we called companies, we talked to them as if we were already invested in them. And within two months, now, obviously, I was also going out and talking with companies to get investors. But within two months, we had a written commitment from another company, another investor that they're putting money with us. Wow. Amazing. So acting as if you had already achieved the goal. Correct. And, and no one talks about this part of it. And this is a little bit of a hint. It's in my book a lot about the feeling. So the most important part of that is to is the feeling attached to it. Like imagine you already like I imagined already having the money. I imagined how happy I would be having investors and actually having my hedge fund up and running. 
it was my dream for 20 years. It was such a great feeling. And once you feel the feeling, then it comes. And, and Wayne Dyer in his book, Wishes Fulfilled, says, make your future dream a present reality by assuming the feeling of the wish fulfilled. No question. No question. It, it also kind of reminds me of like seven habits begin with the end in mind. You know, like you, you kind of have that in your mind that where you're going to be and, and working to get and you almost are living to get there. Absolutely. All right. Here's another th- a point that I loved about your book. Um, you talk about happiness and gratitude and how those are important in your financial goals. And when I read that, I was like, wait a second. I'm talking about my financial goals and you bring in happiness and gratitude. These are like two different sides of the brain. So tell me how these go together. Yeah, I introduced the concept of happiness a couple of times in my book. In fact, I have a chapter called Happiness, Chapter 8. And then I also have a chapter called Feel Good Now and Unconditional Happiness, Chapters 13 and 14. <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> and so there's a lot in this book about the fact that I wasn't happy a lot of my life. You would have thought, okay, a guy who had achieved his dream in 2013 would be happy. But I realized in... 2014, that my happiness was conditional. It was conditional happiness on if we were making money in the fund, if we were making money for investors. And if we lost money, I was unhappy. And you should know that it's a terrible way to live your life because even the greatest money managers in the world are wrong about 50% of the time. So you're going to be unhappy 50% of the time if you live your life that way. And think about it. I think a lot of people in the world live their life based on conditional happiness. You're happy if you get a raise. You're not happy if you you don't. If you get that great parking spot outside the building, you're driving (laughs) through midtown Manhattan, you're happy. If you don't, you're sad. So think about all day long, the opportunities, the choices that go on and how you can be, you don't have to live your life having a conditional on the physical reality. And I realized that and My revelation came actually in August of 2015 when I spent two weeks, the first time I'd spent two weeks on vacation back to back since since probably I had been uh, laid off from from a job early in my career. And so I was literally taking two straight weeks of vacation while working. And I realized that I was really blissful. I was very happy two weeks in August of 2015. And we had our best relative month. The stock market was down about 7% that month, and we were up 3%. And one week I spent with my daughters, and it was just, you know, we were, we went to different amusement parks, Hershey Park and other amusement parks in Pennsylvania. And it's, I was present with them. I was, I was enjoying my time with my daughters. And I also spent a week in Croatia with a friend of mine, Don, who's another investor. And he may be the most present guy I know. He wasn't spending his time checking his BlackBerry, <laughs> checking his iPhone every second. And so we were, so I, I tellered my week after him and we were enjoying the sights and sounds of Croatia while not paying attention to the stock market. And that was my best month of outperformance while I was managing money. That's amazing. Well, I love the book. And it's interesting, you know, before we hit record on the podcast today, we were talking about how this is really growing and becoming a a broader business for you. So where do you see this going 
for you as this is as you started talking to groups and working with individuals and whatnot? Yeah, so the book Mindful Money Management, I think there's so much content in here that can be applied to people's personal finances that the plan is to make this a seminar, a webinar, and to have people get access to the key concepts by doing exercises that they can apply not only to their own personal finance, but we are working on with a colleague of mine, a seminar called Mindful Money Management in Relationships, where couples can use mindful techniques because, as you probably know, the number one reason for divorce is money. Money, exactly. Yep. Well, that's pretty awesome. And so I guess, you know, as we get towards the end of the podcast here, I was thinking, what have been like if there was just one or two big lessons learned for you? I mean, you know, from big money managers, Citibank, et cetera, and here you are, you know, pursuing your passion and and really and finding the satisfaction in that and finding results in that. Like what have been the one or two results or one or two lessons learned, I would say, that you, you have learned through that? Well, the one of the biggest lessons learned is doubting the doubt. <laughs> I tell people to, All right, what do you mean doubting the doubt? Doubt the doubt. Why is the doubt right? All right. You know, why not, I why not have that. faith? Oh, that's why not point. have faith in what you want as opposed to focusing on what you don't want? And throughout my career, there's a lot of people, might have been friends, might have been other actuaries who didn't believe I could become an hedge fund manager, or even right now, don't believe that this is the right path. So I think I tell my daughters this all the time. It doesn't matter what other people think, it only matters what you think. And so if you have a dream, you have a vision, like, don't don't make me my thoughts or my doubts stop you from living your dream for going for your passion. Sure. You have you have a purpose here. So doubt other people's doubt, doubt your own doubt, right? Even if you have doubt that it's not right, if you know deep down that this is your purpose, this is your passion, then continue taking baby steps, taking mo- taking some action towards your dream. I love that one. That it's the first time I've ever heard the phrase "doubt your doubt." I I'm going to reuse that for sure. <laughs> please, please do. That's awesome. All right, and so before we go, where can our listeners find you? How can they engage with you? How can they get you to come speak at their events? How can they find your book, etc.? Yeah, so I have a website, salamore.com. That's S-A-L-A-U-R-M-O-R.com. But if that's difficult to spell, it's Joel Solomon right. as well. <laughs> right. So J-O-E-L-S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. That's awesome. Joel, I am so glad you are here on the podcast today. I'm so excited to see where this goes. And I just think it's a great story in, in you know finding your way, pursuing your passion, and then making a real impact with people. Thank you, Justin. I really appreciate your time today. It's been a great pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. Thank you for joining us on The ContenderCast. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on The ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.